This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Welcome to Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. We try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have, as long as they're financial. 888-99-CHART is our number, 888-992-4278. Shannon Livermore, how you doing out there in Livermore, Shannon? Doing great. I've just started kind of investing. I'm 36, and okay. uh, the, the company I work for, they don't have a 401k. Oh, man, you need to get them on the ball. I know, but I was thinking of doing it on my own. I'm okay. interested in, in the Roth IRA. It, well, how old are you again, Shannon? I'm 36. Do the Roth. That's the one you want. Don't do a regular. Do Roth IRA. Okay, you said there's no tax on it? That's right. You know, the money you're making every day, you know how you pay income tax on it? Yes, yeah. Well, you don't get to write that off. You still have to pay income tax on it, on a Roth IRA. But once you take that money and put it in a Roth, all the growth that you're growing that money, let's say you put in $5,000 this year, and that money grows over 20, 30 years, grows to 30000 just pick a number. Okay. When you start taking it out, you never have to pay taxes on any of that money you take off, ever. Okay, and I have someone that I guess I should go through. I had bought some mutual funds, but they're the real low-risk ones. Okay. They're not really going to make any money. No. They'll get out of the low-risk. Do high-risk, Shannon. Okay. Buy a mid-cap growth fund, a small-cap growth fund, a small value fund, and maybe a large-cap growth fund. Okay. With the Roth... Would I have to pay the 4000 up front, or do I do it throughout the year? You can put it in any time you want. Let's say the Roth money that you want to put in, is we're talking about the money you're going to put into the Roth? Yes, sir. You can put it in uh, any time of the year. You actually have up until April 15th of the following year to put it in for this year, I believe. Okay, but do I have to give them $4,000 up front? Or? Nope. You can give 100 bucks, 200 bucks a month. You can do whatever you want. Okay, great. That's what I needed to know. Thank you very much. Thanks, Shannon. I appreciate the call. Let's go to Ken in Temecula. How you doing, Ken? Hey, Steve. I'm very interested in technical analysis. I'm relatively a new investor in individual stocks. Uh-huh. And I, I use the MACD and the stochastic indicators. Those are good indicators. I'm evaluating charts. But sometimes the MACD, when it's below the zero line and it looks like it's in a buy trend, mm-hmm. it, and then I look at the stochastic indicator, it might be above 80 mm-hmm. and looking like a sell signal. And I wanted to know if there's a correlation between the two or how would you use In that situation, indicators? you yeah. wouldn't react to the stock at all because you have total divergence of two indicators, which indicates confusion to you okay. as a trader. That would say, wait a minute, and you're, you're rating them right. You're saying, wait a minute, one's a buy, one's a sell. What am I supposed to do? In those cases, do nothing. Okay. You want to look at other indicators to confirm. Okay. Uh, but what I like to do, uh, use the MACD and accumulation and distribution line and the on-balance volume line, I'm looking at all three. If they're all three lined up, that gives me more comfort. Those four indicators combined together looking good rather than mm-hmm. uh, one looking good and the other maybe not looking good. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And you got to okay. make sure the stock price itself 
also kind of tracks, okay, well, that's a good buy point, too, on the stock price itself. Ken, the more you look at these charts, the better you'll get at it. Very interesting. Okay, yeah, it is interesting. A little complicated, a little confusing, but interesting. It's like learning a whole language, Ken, a whole different language of some kind. That's what it's doing. Good luck with it, Ken. Hope it works for you. Thanks. How about Leon and San Mateo? Hi, Leon. How you doing? I've been listening to you guys' show for maybe about a week now. Okay. And, um, I'm not an investor at all, okay. but I've always uh, wanted to get in. I have no clue at all on, on what process it takes to get into doing something like this. I don't have a whole lot of money, but okay. still, I would really like to uh, get okay. into the market and, and keep learning more from your program as well as other things I see on the Internet. Okay, Leon. You know, it's a great question, and just by the fact that you're listening and have the interest, you will be able to do this. It's not rocket science. I keep telling people, you don't have to be a genius. You just have to have the interest. Yeah. And yes, everybody started from somewhere. You just don't wake up in the morning, and therefore, you and you know everything. No one. Leon, I learn stuff all the time, and I've been doing this for years. Now, if I can, let me give you a couple of suggestions, you know, if you're just starting out. First of all, don't buy just one stock. That's okay. not a good way to start. I would suggest if you are going to start buying stuff, you either buy mutual funds or what's called exchange-traded funds, ETFs, okay. which are like mutual funds, but they, they buy and sell like stocks. And they're baskets of stocks, ETFs. Go to E-Trade, the ETF center on E-Trade.com, uh-huh. and they'll tell you and describe the ETFs. And, you know, you okay. can have an ETF for like an oil sector. You can have ETF in a country, you know, like China. You can have an ETF in biotech. So it gives you some more diversification, but you don't have a lot of money. You can buy just a few shares if you want. Oh, okay. Now, that will get you into the game a little bit, to play a little bit, but I would suggest that you read first and read some of the basic books. Peter Lynch is a very easy book, Peter Lynch Beating the Street. I would strongly suggest that book. That book is 200 pages, okay? Okay. Very easy to read. Oh, okay. Beating the Street is an older book, but it's still in print. Or One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. Also, I would suggest that you come to our conference and we are all about teaching. These are teaching conferences. That's all they're all about. And if you have an interest and you want to get into a newsletter, we put out a newsletter. And the second section, we have four sections. It comes out every week. The second section is how to manage a portfolio of stocks, how to do it. Okay. Might be something you're interested in. Go to investot.com. You can sign up for there. It comes out every Friday. Oh, okay. You know, just by the fact that you are interested, you will learn how to do this. Okay. Leon, well, appreciate thanks. the call. Thank you. Thanks for calling. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888 99CHART is our number, everybody. You can reach us. We have lines open, 888 992 4278. How about we go to Mike in Fremont? How are you doing, Mike? Oh, doing pretty good. How are you up there? Down here, I'm doing great. Good. I've been listening for about a year, and this is my first time calling in. Well, thanks. And, and if I could, could I uh, just take the answer on the air on this? And it may be just common knowledge, but it sure. seems to me on my mutual funds that they all seem to take a dive in December. And there is a specific 
reason, Mike. Okay, and it's not just yours. <laughs> yeah, you can take it off the air. That's okay. Yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah. Mike, it's just not yours. It's many, many, many mutual funds do this. And this is why. It's very, very simple. In December, sometimes in November, many times in December, these mutual funds do what's called a capital gains distribution. Now, if you think about it, it'll make sense. Think about what a mutual fund does. It buys and sells stocks all year long, right, inside the mutual fund. When it does that, hopefully it's making money. And if it's making money, it's incurring capital gains tax. But it doesn't pay capital gains tax, just like you do, don't, until you do your taxes. Well, they have to distribute, mutual funds have to distribute those capital gains to you so that you can put them on your taxes. So what will happen at the end of the year, if a mutual fund has a high turnover rate, meaning they buy and sell, buy and sell, buy and sell a lot during the year, and they've made money on those buy and sells, they would distribute those capital gains to you at the end of the year. Let's say the mutual fund is selling for $10 a share, and one day in December, you see it go to $9.50. All of a sudden, one day, you never they never tell you what day it is, so you can't sell it the day before, you do not know. They actually give you that 50 cents, by the way. They give that 50 cents to you. You'll see it coming into your portfolio if you're looking carefully. And then you have to pay the taxes on capital gains on your return when you get your 1099. So what it is, it's that jump down in November, December in one day is a capital gains distribution. That's what that's called. Many, many mutual funds do it. The ones who don't do it, are the ones that don't have capital gains distributions. They don't have the capital gains. Let's say your mutual fund buys a stocks uh, in December of one year, and they never sell those stocks for a full year. You will not have any capital gains distribution, and the net asset value of the, the, you know, the cost of the fund will not go down. So one thing we kind of look at is the capital gains liabilities, which you can find out, by the way, during the year. We actually cut back a couple of mutual funds because we expected large, we didn't sell them outright, but we expected large capital gains distributions and we were trying to avoid it. Sometimes you're successful, sometimes you're not. So Mike, that's what that is. It's very common and it's in the end of the year and it happens a lot. Don't think you're doing anything wrong or they're doing anything wrong. That's not the truth. 888-99-CHART is our number. 888-992-4278. Let's talk to Albert and San Mateo. How are you doing, Albert? I'm getting, doing well. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, I had a question. Uh, I put some money away for my child's college education, and I'm looking at the 529 plan. Mm -hmm. I just want to know if that's the best way of doing it. She's really young. How much money do you plan on putting away a year, Albert? Ooh, that's not really set. It's going to be like 500 maybe right oh. now. Then I would not suggest a 529 plan. There's two kinds of educational plans that you can do. You can do a 529 plan, which are state-sponsored plans for college only, okay? Accredited college only, not college for hair cutting or truck driver <laughs> school, okay? A regular accredited college. And there's also what's called the Coverdale. And the reason why I asked how much money you wanted to put away, in a 529 plan, you could put up to like, I think it's like $15,000 a year. In a Coverdale, you can put up to $2,000 a year. Right. Now, why would I want Coverdale over 529? Well, because there's different rules on these things. In a 529 program, they're sponsored by individual states. 
And will you plan on buying a California one? Because if you're in California, you can buy any one in any state you want. Right. Okay, you can buy Illinois, Florida, California. But what happens in most 529 plans, besides the fact that you can only spend the money on accredited colleges, you also have restrictions of what you can invest it in. Right. In a Coverdell, it's like an IRA. Okay, you can start a Coverdell and you can invest it in anything you want. And Coverdell, you can use it for that beauty school or truck driver school. You can use it for private high school. Okay. So, but you can't do it with a 529 plan. That's only for college. I know Fidelity is the one for California 529. How would I go about uh, you, getting a Coverdell? Okay, you can go to anybody, Schwab, E-Trade, anybody. Anybody say, I want to open up a Coverdell. They'll say, okay, here's the forms. Same thing. It's really simple. And then what you do is you start putting money in it, and then you decide what you want to invest. So go to any place you want. You can go to a bank. I would suggest, you know, a discount broker. You can buy mutual funds. If you're going to buy mutual funds, Schwab is, have a program called Schwab One, which I like. is a very good vehicle. But you can buy ETFs from anybody. And I like those does even have, better. Does it have the same tax implications? Exactly the same. Great. Thanks, Albert. Appreciate the call. Good but, question. Very good question. Dennis in Oakland. How you doing, Dennis? I'm doing great, Steve. Thanks for the uh, call. I'm 65, and I'm putting some money in the Roth IRA for the next two years, like 24K, okay. with my wife and I. Okay. And I think I should just do it. I don't need the money, so I think I should just put it in aggressive for the next 20 years, and then it, when I'm... 85, then there'll be a nice nest egg, additional nest egg. What do you think of that idea? If you don't need the money, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I don't need the money, so. See, that's the key because you're at retirement age, quote-unquote retirement age. If you don't need the money and you're willing to let it ride for a number of years, all that growth that the Roth grows for all those years, there's no tax consequence. Not one nickel You think the government might change their mind? I don't think so. Think of the hue and cry that would cause, Dennis. No way. You and I, we'd be marching on Washington, wouldn't we? No, I don't think it would be abused, yeah. <laughs> so I don't think they're going to change their rules on that. I really don't. There would be such a backlash that everybody who ever even thought about it would get voted out of office. So I don't see it happening. Dennis, I appreciate the call. I really do. Thank you. Take- Thank you. I'm Money Manager Steve Peasley, and we're here to help you get better results if we can with your invested dollars. That's our goal. Do you have a question? Check in now, 888-99-CHART. You're listening to an Encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888-99-CHARTERS, our number, 888-992-4278. Dave in Carlsbad, how are you doing, Dave? Hi, how are you? I'm thinking of spending, uh, well, investing about $10,000 in uh, money market, and I don't know much about uh, stocks and stuff. I was wondering that if I invest $10,000 in like six months or so, and the interest that I'm going to get off of that, uh, how is that going to affect my taxes? Anytime that you invest in anything like a money market where they pay you dividends, okay? You know, they pay you 5%, a, yeah, that's right. They're going to pay you annualized 5%. That money is added to your adjusted gross income on your tax return. The bank okay. will send you what's called a W-2? Like a W-2 form? Yeah. 
and they okay. send it like January, February, March, somewhere in there. They're supposed okay. to get to you by the end of January. And that W-2 says, oh, you earn $282 in interest. And when you do your taxes, you have to add that $282 to your gross income. And that's what you pay your taxes. And whether you get back money or not, depends on how much taxes you pay during the year, of course. Now, if you don't add it, remember, the bank sends that same little form. Oh, like I'm working for somebody, like an employer that does that. Yep. Okay. Yep, they send it to the government. So the government knows you got that 200 bucks in interest. You know, so you've got to add it to your thing, or else you're going to get audited someday. So I'm also planning to open a business. Mm-hmm. If I uh, invest through my business, not as an individual, but mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. being a CEO of a business, yes. how is that going to affect uh, in taxes? Good, bad? It's neither good nor bad, and in some ways it's good. When you form a business, you know, initially you usually don't form a corporation. You just do it as what's called a sole proprietorship. In other words, it's your business, it's just you. Yeah. And it's a sole proprietorship. The income that that business makes is offset by the expenses you incur. Let's say you just pick some numbers. Let's say you make $10,000 in the first month, but it costs you $5,000 to run the business. Now, you can leave that $5,000 in the business or you can take some of it as a salary to yourself. And if you take it as a salary, that's income to you and you have to pay taxes on it. The first year of a business, you don't have to pay any taxes till the end of the year. So, Dave, you got to be disciplined by not spending all the money if you have earnings. Because when it comes tax time, they say, oh, you made $42,000 and therefore you owe you know, uh, $15,000 in taxes. If you spend it all you're going to be in trouble. But the good thing about being a sole proprietorship and starting a business, things you have write-offs that you don't have as an employee. You have write-offs like gasoline, car repair. You can write off any kind of business lunch that you have or any, there's certain things you have. Not a lot. Don't think it's a lot. It's not. Dave, good luck. I hope hope you have some. Thanks a lot. Thanks for your help. John in Hayward. How you doing, John? Doing fine. Thanks for calling. Thanks. I had a question. I got a a Tiacref account and I'm not really clear on how to spread my money out for retirement. You sound youngish, John. How old are you? 33. Perfect. You're a young guy. Young guy. And so you have a TF Kraft account. Now, they give you lots of choices, if I remember right, of mutual funds to buy. Yeah. Okay. What I would do, you got a pen or a pencil? Yeah. And this is good for everybody out there, not just for John. If you're John's age group, if you're under 40, let's say, number one, you need to be aggressive. So stay away from bond funds. Stay away from bond funds, okay? Stay away from balanced funds. Okay. Because they have bonds in them, usually. I want you to be in the small cap, mid cap, and large cap growth and value funds, okay? Have maybe 25% in the small cap stocks. Find a mutual fund that says we are small cap growth or small cap value. Go with 25% of your money. 25% in mid cap Mid-sized companies, they call them mid-cap. Capitalization is what that means. Mid-sized company. And they'll say that. They'll say that in their, they're usually in their title. And then 25% in large-cap. And I would lean on growth, large-cap, mid-cap, small-cap growth versus value. So split up the money. You can have four, five, six mutual funds. And the last 25%, John, I want you to have an international Okay. International. Good luck, John. Call me if you want any more any more help on that, okay? 
Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks, John. Appreciate the call. 888-99-CHART is our number. 888-992-4278. If you have a question, now's the time to ask. How do we go to Dave in Burlingame? How are you doing, Dave? Thank you for taking my call, and I love your show. Thank you. Thanks for calling. My question is, I understand how it's important to pay off your mortgage, especially when you're around age 50. My question to you is, would it be a good move to take the money that you have saved in the 401k to pay off your mortgage? I'm currently 47. Okay, would that be a good move or not? No, it would not be, Dave. Why do I say that? The 401k is for your retirement. And the house is also for your retirement. So saying that, you would think, well, it makes sense, does it not? No. I like you to have two different types of assets there, not just all your money in one asset. Okay, I still think it's a great idea to pay off mortgage, pay down mortgage, get those things paid off. But I don't think you should do it with retirement money. That money is uh, is tax deductible as you put the money in there. And the other only other tax deductible you have is the mortgage payment, the interest. Not that that's why you should have a mortgage. I don't think you should have a mortgage. I think you should try to pay it down. I would much rather see you take a little extra money every month. And I know it's tough when you're working stiff and you're not making a lot of money and a lot of free money. But I'd much rather say, see you pay 50, 100 bucks a month and use that extra money to pay down that mortgage and continue to fund your 401k. I appreciate your answer and basically leave the 401k alone. Uh, pay, add whatever additional money that you can. Whatever you uh, can. To pay it off. You'll I be a surprise, Dave, how fast it will take down that mortgage if you're disciplined and do it every month. I appreciate your advice. Thanks for Thanks, taking Dave. my call. You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you 888 99Chart. Beginning our experience, we're here to answer your questions. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888 99CHART is our number, everybody. You can reach us. We have lines open, 888 992 4278. Okay, let's go to Elias and Sam Ramon. How are you doing, Elias? Yeah, thank you. Uh, the reason I'm calling is my dad's 60, and he's going to be retiring the beginning of next year, and his job offered him the choice of directing a portion or all of his pension plan dollars to uh, Fidelity. Uh-huh. I guess it's kind of a two-part question. One, is this a good idea? And two, what formula do you guys use to figure out how you want to allocate it with stocks and bonds? I know there's something to do with your age. And then yeah. Is the other side of the coin, is he to take it in a lump sum? No, the other one is I think it just stays within the pension plan. What company works for? Northern California Electrical Workers. Okay. The reason why I asked Elias, uh-huh. because if he worked for an airline company, I would say, yeah, get out of that. Oh, uh, that's a good idea, <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of pensions are underfunded. This is my big, big concern. 
the question here is, should he take the amount of money that he gets in his pension and put it over into Fidelity, in which he would have control and pick and choose his own investments, or stay in the pension plan in which they pay him a certain amount of money every month until he dies, I'm assuming. Is he married? Yes. I apologize for asking questions, which no, you sure, may not right. know the answers. But if he dies and he's collecting a pension, does his wife get the full pension benefits? Yes. Because you can see how that will impact my answer. The men usually die before the women. Right. You know, and you want the wife or your mom to get full benefits if she right. can. Now what you need to do is figure out how long he's going to live. You figure it's going to be until he's about 77 years old. Uh-huh. That's what normally people live to. Maybe a little longer if he's already 60. Right. How many years that is, how much money it gets per month, and then figure out that lump sum, okay? Okay. Then take the lump sum they're going to flip over to Fidelity, and then compound it by about 6 or 7% per year, and always every year withdraw the same amount of money that he's going to need, or how much he would take out of the pension. So when you compound it but take money out, it's a fairer comparison, you okay. know? Generally speaking, it's better to take the money. The whole lump sum? The whole lump sum. Generally speaking, I can't say for sure. I don't know what his benefits are. But the few that I've done the math on, the ones that come and talk to me about this, Uh I do the math, and it seems like invariably they could do better if they just invest in smart investments. Now, the other part of the question you have is supposed to be for every year of your age is about the approximate amount you have in bonds. Okay. So if you're 60, 60% in bonds, 40% in stocks. Okay. But the caveat is that you shouldn't really be buying bonds in a rising interest rate environment. Right. Or you buy short-term bonds in a rising interest rate environment. Okay. It depends how conservative he wants to be. And at age 60, and this is his uh, pension, he needs to be somewhat conservative. Conservative, yeah. Yeah. Lars, I hope that helps. And if you have any specific questions, you can give me a call at the office. I'll run through all the numbers for you. Oh, this is great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Elias. Appreciate the call. Let's go to Julia and Julian. Hi. I have a question. I'm about 55 years old, and I'm a novice and don't really know where to start. Okay. I would like to get into the market probably with a mix of stocks and bonds and cash. Okay. I'm wondering what percentage you would recommend of each one. There is a rule of thumb. It depends on you and how aggressive and how much money you want to invest. You know, um, if you're just starting out, I would be very timid about getting in the market right now. Okay. Your experience level is very low, so you want to be very careful. There's a rule of thumb that your age dictates how much bonds you should have. So if you're 55, 55% of your money should be in bonds. I'm not buying that rule of thumb because there are times when being in bonds is just terrible and times when they're better to be in bonds. The time not to be in bonds is when interest rates are low because interest rates will probably rise. You're not going to get very good yield. So it'd be better to go and do dogs of the Dow. High dividend paying, very big companies will get you more money, generally speaking. And don't buy too much of any one company. There's some rules. We never, for instance, I never buy more than 3 to 5% of a company, my overall portfolio. So that means you have a number of stocks. You can also invest using ETFs. You know what those are? Exchange-traded um, funds. They're like mini mutual funds, and you can buy sectors. Let's say you think the, uh, the medical sector is a good place. Well, there's a number of ETFs that you could just you give you instant diversification by ETF. You might want to start with the ETFs. Now, as far as the taxes on ETFs, are you taxed on the gains like you would be in a mutual fund? Yes. You, only okay. when you sell it, though. And unlike the mutual funds where you get capital gains distributed to you, even right. though you made, that doesn't happen in ETFs. 
Oh, okay. Only Good. when you sell it, like a stock. You make gains or you have losses, that's when you have to pay the taxes. Okay. Thanks, Julie. Appreciate the call. Good luck. Thank you. Hope it works for you. Here are the directions for reaching Steve this afternoon with your question. Just call 888-99-CHART, C-H-A-R-T. Have a question about how best to get into the market? Or maybe you're feeling unsure about your current investments. That's what this is all about. This is Invest Talk. Renee in San Diego. How are you doing, Renee? Great, great. I was actually calling to find out uh, information, opinion about the style of investing. Uh, okay. Large, large cap of value versus large cap growth or blended? Uh, depends on the blend, obviously. Many times when you hear the word or see the word blended and mutual fund, it means uh, that they put some bonds in there. Okay, because I was actually looking in, in particular to an exchange trade fund, uh, VTV, Vanguard Value, or Vanguard Large Cap Growth, okay. VUG. Over any length of history, just so you'll know, Renee, mm-hmm. value trumps growth, okay? Mm-hmm. But there are periods, and by the way, value has been trumping growth since 2000. Yeah. Value stocks. But it seems to me that it's time to think about migrating a little bit to the growth side. Why do I say that? Because I think the tech stocks are going to move. It seems like the tech stocks might have the potential to move, and they are considered growth stocks. But I don't think, Renee, that means just avoid value altogether. No, no, no. I'm just saying maybe start increasing your large cap growth position, but still hold on to some value. I have about 10,000. I was wondering, do I invest in maybe about three companies that are good value, look really solid, or do I go an exchange-traded fund that has a little more diversification? With $10,000, I'd probably go with a diversification in ETFs. Okay. Uh, And remember, you can get a sector, you could do a whole market, you could do a growth versus value, or you want maybe you could do tech, you could do oil, you could do oil services, you could do foreign with ETFs. And what's nice about ETFs is you do get that instant diversification. So I would not hesitate to have maybe, I don't know, four or five, six ETFs with $10,000. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. It's spread it out. Spread it all out and say, okay. And what you do is you're doing the right thing, Renee. You decide, should I be in the value growth side? Large, small, mid, how about foreign? How about a sector? What would be a good sector to be in right now? Those are the kind of thought processes you go through. And from the articles I've read, they're saying that the small caps have gotten had their heyday, and now the large cap is, seems to have uh, its turn in, the, in yeah. the sunshine. Yeah, I'd probably stick with the mid to large caps, I would. Okay, perfect. Renee, appreciate the call. Uh, thank you. Let's go to Cliff in La Mesa. How you doing, Cliff? Hey, good, Steve. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Appreciate you calling. Could you answer a question on dividends sure. for me? On the X day, which is like, what, two or three weeks before they actually pay the dividend? Yes. If you own the stock on the X day, say you own it the day before, and the day after that day you sell it, would you still get the dividend? Yes. As long as you own the stock on the X dividend date, and that's the date they announce. All people who own the stock today will get a 15-cent dividend when we pay it a few weeks from now. So that's the day you need to own it. You can sell it the very next day, not a problem. And you might be even able to sell it that day, but I wouldn't take that chance. That sounds good. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. So everybody, whenever you hear, well, ex-dividend day, they call it ex-dividend day, EX-dividend day. That's the day you have to own the stock to get the announced dividend they're going to announce on that day. Now, mind you, the stock goes down the exact amount 
of the dividend they're going to pay. If the stock, if the dividend's going to be 50 cents, the stock price that day will go down 50 cents. Now, it might be disguised because trading volume, you know, trading up and down, up and down, up and down might not see it, but it actually does go down the exact amount of the dividend announced on that ex-dividend date. 888-99 Charters, our number, 888-992-4278. Avin in San Ramon, how you doing, Avin? I got a quick question. I have two kids, 12 and 10. I started putting money for their education. Okay. Um, so far, I put in about $22,000. It's hard to gauge as to how much the expenses would be. So on an annual average, what do you think I should be putting in? Are you putting them in a 529 plan? Yes, it's a 529 plan by Charles Schwab. Okay. Is that 529 in California or is it Illinois? Is it? It's, uh, it's Illinois. Now, people probably ask me, how did I know that? Well, yeah. the reason why I know that is each state sponsors a educational called a 529 plan. Each state has its own. And why did I say Illinois? Because I know Illinois has a very good plan. Yeah. Therefore, they're selling a lot. California's plan is just okay. Yeah. If you live in California, you can buy any state plan you want. You don't necessarily. It's not money that has to be spent in Illinois. You can spend it anywhere in the United States, but it is for college education. That's true, yeah. College. Okay. Next question, Evan, you have to ask is, is your child, are they going to go to Berkeley or Harvard? Or are they going to go to a regular college, you know, like a USC or UCLA? One of those cal, cal colleges, either USC, UCLA, or Stanford, Berkeley, one of those things. Okay, so, okay, yeah. good. Because, you know, the expenses on the various colleges dramatically change. Yeah. Uh, remember, you don't have to come up with all the money for the education. They can get college student loans for some of it. So you're just helping them. You don't have to, you know, if you make a ton of money and you want to, you can. But you don't have to have all the money for their education. Just think of this way. It's going to cost about twenty to $30,000 a year for college. Okay. From that number back, and they're 8 to 10 years old? That's right. 10 and 12. So. Okay, 10 and 12. Yeah. Figure then, you know how many years you have. You have eight, uh, six to eight years each. Yeah. Okay, and your money will make about six to ten percent a year. So if you were real generous, you can add ten percent to twenty-two thousand compounded. Oh. Oh, okay. So, so that's those are the kinds of numbers you play with. Okay. And that means you're going to have, you know, if you're going to have all of it, you've got a lot of work to do. I wouldn't suggest you have to have all of it. You don't. I know my wife's parents pay for the first year, and then you're on your own for the rest of the year. Some yeah. pay for uh, the school, but not the room and board, so they have to borrow a student loan. Student loans are so easy to get, Alvin, that you won't uh, have any problem. That's right. It's been about three years since I started, and then I'm adding about uh, anywhere between 2000 to $3,000 a year for each account. So. I think that's very, very good. For the okay. average working guy, that's a very good number. All right. That's good. Thank you. Thanks, sir. Alvin. Appreciate the call. Bye-bye. Let's go to Jim in Claremont. Hi, Jim. Hi, Steve. Thanks for taking my call. Appreciate you making it. How do you pick a sector that's going to be performing well for the next month or two months? Okay. Fair enough and a good question. A very good question. Trying to figure out what sectors are moving in relationship to each other is something that we do constant work on. It is something that is very difficult but doable. There are certain websites. CBS Market Watch, one of our partners, has a sector analysis area. They have charts, and they show you the sectors. You can see the sectors intertwine with each other on a chart, which ones are moving up through the other sectors. It's pretty obvious 
And that's how you have to do. You have to go to Yahoo Finance or CBS Market Watch or one of those other CNN money and find the sector analysis in there and figure out what sectors are moving up. Also, the Investor's Business Daily newspaper once a week has a sector analysis. And it talks about sectors and which ones are moving up and which ones are the highest rated. And you can find it. It's out there. It just takes a little bit of work. But that's all past performance, right? That's not necessarily what's uh, going on in the future. Well, nothing will tell you what's going to happen in the future. But what will it will do is it tell you, if you watch, it'll tell you what sectors are moving up and have been moving up. Right. And that's really what you're looking for. You're looking for the moving sectors. It doesn't have to be the top one or two sectors. It can be the 10th or 12th sector. As long as it moved from three weeks ago, the 18th sector, to two weeks ago, the 15th sector, to last week, it's the 10th sector, to this week, it's the 6th sector, you know that all the stocks in that sector have been moving up. Okay, well, thanks very much, Steve. Appreciate it. Jim, I appreciate the call, and thank you for that. I think the sector question was very, very good, and I think everybody should be paying attention to the sectors they're in. Let's go talk to Todd in Lakeside. How you doing, Todd? Oh, good, Steve. How about yourself? Good. How's it out there in Lakeside? Oh, it's, you know, it's a good deal. Like good. it. Yep, it's a nice area. Um, you know, Steve, I had a couple of questions, but for one thing, I, I guess I'm struggling a little bit on trying to figure out the uh, value of stocks. How to project the value of a stock? Yes. Okay, oh, this is how you do it. I'm going to give you two methods, Todd. And none of these methods are perfect, so don't always think they're perfect. They're not. Right. Uh, one method is good for medium-sized companies, not too good for really large companies and not too good for really small companies, but in the middle, the bulk of the companies out there. You use the earnings per share estimates for next year, and you multiply up times the growth rate of the earnings per share. So let's say the earnings per share this year is a dollar, and the earnings per share next year is a dollar twenty. That's a twenty percent growth rate, right? Okay. You take that 20, multiply it times $1.20, okay? And that gives you a projected price for that stock. Now, if the stock is selling below that amount, that's what you want. If it's selling above that amount, it might be overpriced. Now, it doesn't work for very large companies because they don't grow very much. Okay. Now, it can be if the company was just beat up to smithereens price-wise, and they're only growing 8%, let's say, you know, let's say they're Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola can grow, what, 10% a year maybe? And Microsoft, these big, huge companies can't grow. But if they get beat up enough, the valuations will work. Now, the other good way to use, okay, but, let's but, say... Hang on, let me back you up for a second, though. You sure. say the um, earnings per share for this year and next year, is that all four quarters combined? Average? Yes. Okay. All the four quarters, the whole year. How okay. much is the whole year going to be worth? Okay. And the other method is to look at the P.E. ratio range for this, the company, that, the target company you're looking at for the last five years. And let's just say the range is 10 to 30. Then you take next year's earnings per share and multiply that times 10, and then also multiply it times 30, and then you get the range of the price of the stock should trade at. And if it's at the very low end of the range or below that end of the range, that's a buy. Okay. Okay, now you just look I'll at a chart and decide where you want to buy it. Right. I'll have to play around with that one a little bit. Now, if you have a question about a stock or an IRA, college savings plan, well, maybe buying a house, mortgages, reverse mortgages, we're here for you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278.
You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART is our number, 888-992-4278. We're going to go to Mike in San Diego. How are you doing, Mike? Oh, great. Uh, I appreciate your program. Thank you very much. We just need a little bit of uh, education here. Maybe you can help us. Uh, what is the purpose of rising or you know lowering the uh, interest rate? This is what happens. When the Fed Reserve or banks lower their interest rates, it makes it more attractive for companies and individuals to borrow that money. When they borrow money, that money gets used and put into the economic system. It starts to flow through the system. That produces activity, build more factories, expand existing manufacturing systems, or improve the systems that you have, make yourself more effective and more cost efficient. But now, why would the federal government would raise the interest rate, though? Wouldn't that slow down the economy, though? Yes. The purpose in raising interest rate, the only purpose is to slow down the economy, by the way. Okay. Now, you also say, well, why would they want to do that? Well, the Federal Reserve has two mandates. One is to keep the economy going at a consistent pace without any really high spikes. Or real, they're supposed to be consistent and making the economy grow at a consistent level. That's job number one. Job number two is to keep control of inflation. Now, those two jobs are sometimes mutually exclusive. In other words, how do I control inflation? How do I control that? Well, if I slow down the economy, if I slow it down, and the jobs are not so plentiful, and corporations are having trouble raising prices because they're not getting as much business as they used to, then I'm going to kill inflation. If the economy gets too heated, the businesses will start raising prices, and employees will start demanding more money because corporations make more and more money. And you start a cycle of inflation. So they have this mandate that says, okay, I got to kill inflation, therefore I got to raise rates. I got to keep the economy going, therefore I got to lower rates. Wonderful. I, that clears everything up. I thank you very much. Thanks, I listen Mike. to you guys all the time. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for listening. Let's go to Steve in Anaheim. How are you doing, Steve? I have my money in a lot of different places. Uh, I have some deferred comp, I have 401ks, huh? but I also have some money in annuities. And I always hear a lot of the investment programs talking about annuities are not so great. It's why they're not so good. Remember, annuities are an insurance product. They're very complex. They're legalese. If you ever try to read that annuity document, you would probably get lost, okay? Exactly. And that works to the insurance company's benefit, obviously, because it is confusing. Attorneys can't figure that darn thing out. So I used <laughs> to be in the insurance business, Steve. I know what they do. But let's make it simple. Why aren't annuities good? Because I don't like them either. Why? The thing that they hook you on is they guarantee you a return, right? It could be as good as 5 6 7% a few years ago. Bad thing about annuities, here's a couple of things. One, you were required to hold on to them for a certain length of period of time, usually 7 to 10 years. Yeah. Number two, if it is a annuity that's tracked to the stock market, do you have choices like can you buy the S&P 500 index or mutual funds or something like that? I think it is, yes. I'm okay. pretty sure. So they, what they do is they give you choices to buy the stock market. But there's fees for this. The annuity, the insurance company charges you a fee. The mutual fund that you're buying charges you a fee. And the annuities are very high. Their fees are very, very high. They're kind of hidden, but they're very high. They also limit 
your return. You can't make as much as the stock market in 10 years. And the reason why they have holding periods, 10 years, because there's never been a 10-year period in the stock market's history where the stock market has not gone up. They know it's going to go up. That's why they can guarantee you that money. Now, annuities are a tax-deferred instrument. You never use an IRA to buy annuity because it's already a tax-deferred instrument. But what happens in annuity is you get a false sense of its growth because you don't have to pay taxes. You don't have to pay capital gains taxes until you sell it. When you sell it 10 years from now, all the capital gains that has been built up in that annuity are due. That means your returns, you say, oh, I made 20%. Great. Maybe you only made 10% because you haven't paid the taxes yet. Oh, gosh. And you don't know what that tax responsibility is. They don't know that until you sell it. So there's a lot of little negatives. When, Steve, you could just go buy an S&P 500 index outside the annuity, and you'll do much better if you held it for the same length of time. <laughs> well, That's thanks why. for the info. I appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate the Bye call. Then. Annuities, everybody. It's only for special situations, really special situations that you would want it. And usually that's trying to transfer your money to the next generation. Very, very special. I'm Steve Peasley, and this completes another Investop program, everybody. Please remind your friends that they can listen to Invest Talk five days a week in the 4 o'clock hour Pacific time. And they can download podcast shows anytime they want. Justin will be here on Monday. I will return on Tuesday. So everybody have a great weekend. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 